right, uh, let's come back together. Good to see uh, people I haven't seen in a while. Uh, I do like um, calling people's names, but last time I did that, someone said, um, why'd you do that? So I'll, I'll just say, good to see everyone I haven't seen in a while. All right, well, good morning. It's great to be with you all. If you're visiting, welcome again. Uh, we're so thankful that you could join us. Uh, my name is Joshua, and I'll be bringing you the word today. We're coming to the end of First John. Uh, next week, Pastor Norman will bring us the final message in our series. And we've noted throughout the book that John is writing to a church going through division. Uh, some people were promoting false teachings and leaving the church. And so it was crucial to bring people back to the heart of the gospel, the good news of who Christ is, what he did, and what he does now and forever. And that's what we've been thinking about for us as well. Well, today we're looking at 1 John five thirteen to 20. This is the conclusion of the letter. And I'll read it for us before we get into it. Hear the word of God. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Dear God, you are our creator and king, but you call us to seek you and to come to you when we're weary. Thank you, Lord. Teach us now in your word what you want us to hear and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this coming Saturday, Amy and I will be traveling to Korea to see her mother, and I'm very excited. Uh, one, because my mother-in-law is super nice to me, so I'll be treated like VIP for two weeks. And two, because the food in Korea is the best I've ever had. Every time I eat off the motherland, it recharges my soul like it's feeding my ancestors' blood in me. Uh, but one of the most memorable moments from our last trip to Korea for me was not the restaurants or the special treatment as much as those were amazing. It was one evening when Amy took me to a reunion with her childhood 
friends at one of their homes. And they just ordered regular food they used to eat as kids together. And for hours, we shared funny stories. And that moment taught me so much about everyday life in Korea, uh, about Amy's friends, and most importantly, new things about Amy. And I realized that sometimes vacations are meaningful, not because of the things I consume, but because of the people present with me. Our text today begins and ends with this concept of eternal life. Verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the Son, that you may know you have eternal life. Uh, John is clarifying why he's writing this letter. It's to assure people that they have eternal life. That's his focus. And a lot of times when we read that phrase, eternal life, we tend to think of it simply as living forever. Uh, Right? When we go to heaven, we'll live forever. But Scripture's concept is broader than that. Uh, Eternal life in the gospel means the fullness of uh, life you experience when you're in a relationship with the eternal person, Jesus. It's the full life of love, joy, peace, and hope that comes from knowing him. That's why Samuel Rutherford writes, Lord Jesus, if I could be in heaven without you, it would be a hell. And if I could be in hell and have you still, it would be heaven to me for you are all the heaven I want. And so if you're a believer, that means even now you can experience that eternal life because Jesus is in you. Well, if that's true, how do we enjoy this full life we have in Christ now? How do we actually tap into it practically? John says he wants you to know in your heart that you have it. Here's the main idea for today's sermon. Living a full life in Christ means continuing to receive his assurance. Living a full life in Christ means continuing to receive his assurance. And this passage gives us three types of assurance that we receive from him. Number one, assurance in prayer. Uh, Number two, assurance in restoration. And number three, assurance in knowledge. First, assurance in prayer. Uh, What does John say in verse 14? This is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Uh, When I was in college, I used to visit this atheist club that met on campus, and there were these aggressive debaters who wanted to demolish your religion for some reason. And one dude said to me, uh, he said, Listen, man, prayer doesn't make any sense. If you pray to God for something and you get it, you say that he answered you, right? But if you don't get it, you say that he's saying no, okay. But what if you don't pray and you still get it? See, prayer is useless. It doesn't really do anything. It just makes you feel better. And I was like, dang, I was just trying to say hi. (laughs) But what that guy didn't understand is that in Scripture, the central point of prayer is not about what you get or don't get out of God. The point of prayer is the fact that you have personal access to God anytime, anywhere, and he'll hear you. And he'll give his full attention to you. Prayer means that whatever you're going through, you can run into God's throne room and ask him things, and he'll be there. Matsuhu always tells me, hey, Josh, uh, Emilia woke me up at 3 a.m. again. Somebody said, if a small child wakes her father up at 3 a.m. and says, Daddy, I'm scared. No matter how tired he is, that father's going to get up and hold her. 
That's the kind of intimate access that prayer offers you as a child of God. It's not primarily that you can get things out of him. It's that you have him. Because sometimes we need somebody to just be next to us. Uh, so we could vent or cry or laugh with them. A meme that Amy and I like to quote is, Stop fixing me, I'm trying to complain. And your Father in heaven says, I'll be the one you can do that with. And you can go to him at any hour and he'll hear you. Now John also says, if you ask according to his will. What he's not saying is that every time we pray, we have to keep God's will in mind. Uh, Dear God, please help me, but only if it's your will. That's not what he's saying. Uh, See, the more you spend time with him, talking to him and hearing from his word, your prayer life starts to change. Uh, And this is what according to his will means. You stop praying just for things, and you start becoming more dependent on his ways. I might not know what's going to happen to me. I might not get what I want but I know Jesus, and he's going to give me the strength to face the things I don't understand. That's what your prayer becomes. Not a tool to control your life, but a way to lean on the one who has control over your life, trusting in his will. Then John says, we know we have the requests we asked of him. When we request things of God, he will give to us, but it may not be in the way that we expect. Um, Back in Jesus' day, there were these stones that kind of looked like the bread that they ate. And sometimes little kids would ask to eat the stone. And Jesus says in Matthew, what good father would give his son a stone when he's really looking for bread? Sometimes we don't know what we're asking, but God knows and gives exactly what we need when we need it. Uh, That's why Paul Miller in A Praying Life writes, learning to pray doesn't offer us a less busy life. It offers us a less busy heart. By spending time with our Father in prayer, we integrate our lives with His, with what He's doing in us, and our lives feel calmer and more ordered, even in the midst of confusion and pressure. Of course, we still pray for things, and sometimes it's painful because He doesn't give us what we ask. But he hears you. And even when your prayers are all jumbled up, he feels your heart. And so he calls us to cling to his presence and trust that he's going to walk you through this season in his timing and provision. That's assurance in prayer. Uh, Second, assurance in restoration. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. Uh, Again, John uses that word life. So another way we experience fullness of life in Christ is when we have together restoration from sin. Now, what's interesting about this verse is that it focuses on what to do when you see somebody else sinning. Earlier in the letter, John talks about dealing with our personal sins. But here he closes with what to do when you see somebody else sinning. And the reason is that so much of this book is about unity and loving one another because they were experiencing divisions. And they knew that one of the biggest effects of sin is that it separates us. We could be in the same room, but farther apart than we ever were because of sin. Sometimes it isolates us, making us hide from each other and God. Other times it produces bitterness and conflict. And so John encourages people, if you see a sister or brother sinning, don't let her hide or get bitter by herself. 
Ask God to give her life. In your access to God, pray for God to pour out his grace on her. Remind her that she's forgiven, that Christ went to the cross for her, that she's free from judgment. Pray that that good news would wash over that sister or brother's guilt and shame and restore them to turn away from their sin. That's what it means to pray life over somebody and treat them that way. Of course, it's going to be difficult if an individual has sinned against you personally. That may take some time to get help from God and others. But our goal as a community, as a church, is to pray life over each other. Because a lot of times we forget. When we're faced with our own darkness, we go into survival mode, trying to cover up or project our stuff onto other people. And we forget that once we walk in these doors, everybody in here is a struggler. Everybody in here is a sinner. This is a hospital for sinners receiving healing grace from God. Hear this, church. God has already seen your rock bottom. He's seen the worst parts of you. He's seen your checkered past, and he embraces you. And he says, my child, I'm so proud of you. Let's work on it together. That surprise of God's kindness is what leads us to repentance and connection with people. Look at the prodigal sons. One son lived a debaucherous life, lived a life maybe worse than so many of us have lived. And he comes home helpless. And his father runs toward him and kisses him and throws a party for him. The other son stands outside because he's mad. He's not appreciated. He's been a good Christian all his life. His father leaves the party to go out and reach out to him. God's heart for you is so eager to show you grace. He's so eager to show you grace. And only as that sinks in, uh, we allow that eager grace to go out to somebody else in our life in prayer. Now, uh, let me clarify something here. John does make a distinction between sin that leads to death and sin that does not lead to death. I don't think this is the important part of the passage, but just to help you understand. What is the sin that leads to death? Remember in the context of this letter, some people were leaving the church uh, because they were trusting another way of salvation other than Christ. So John is saying, if you reject Christ altogether, like those people were doing, if you refuse him, then you're refusing life. But if you've put your faith in him, he connects himself to you and guarantees your restoration, even as you fail. That's what we want to pray over each other. This person is struggling. Man, I got to, you know, go gossip about... This person is really coming from far away. Man, I, they haven't been to church in a while. No, our instinct is this person's been far away. I, I need to pray God's grace over them. I need to pray God's restoration and prayer and forgiveness over them. Assurance and restoration. And that brings us to our final point. Assurance in knowledge. John closes the letter with a, final word, which is made of three things we should know for life. We know he rescues us from sin. We know he protects us from the enemy. And we know Christ is in us. First, he rescues us from sin. Verse 18, he says, everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. A lot of times when we read things like that, we take it as a command. If you're born of God, you shouldn't keep on sinning. But, but that's not what this is saying. This verse is a promise. It's not a law. It's a promise that if you're struggling with a particular sin, know that God will heal you. 
He will help you overcome and he will defeat that sin in you. You belong to him and sin will not have the last word over you. Look at your past. There are areas where God has grown you significantly and you're not sinning in the same ways you used to. He will do so much more in you. So we fight our sin, but we don't despair when we slip up. Um, So he rescues us from our sin. Second, he protects us from the enemy, 18b. God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We're of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The main goal of the enemy is to pull you away from fellowship with God and others. He wants to separate you. Um, He tried to do that with Adam and Eve. He tried it with Job. And he tried it with Jesus himself in the desert. He wants to attack you in your weakness and make you think you're not good enough for church or make you trust in yourself instead of him. Um, 1 Peter 5 says, Your adversary prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. But John says, While he can tempt you and attack you in the world, he can never remove you from God's arms. The most vicious attack of Satan that Jesus experienced was when he was on the cross. The enemy was throwing everything he had at Jesus to stop him from completing his sacrifice. But how does Jesus respond to those attacks? He turns to the thief next to him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. No matter what the enemy tries, our hope is secure in him. And we can know that he protects us. And third, Christ is in us. Verse 20, the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Uh, Somebody told a story like this. Two people are crossing a bridge over a river. One person is confident. He's a civil engineer. He knows exactly how the bridge works, what weight it can hold, the design. There's no doubt that he'll make it across. The other person has a fear of heights. He's anxious. He he thinks the bridge might break every time it shakes, and he's panicking as he walks. But in the end, both men make it to safety because it's not the strength of the person that holds him, but the strength of the bridge. And in the same way, the gospel is not about how strongly we stand, but how strong is the Christ we stand on. It's not about how well we walk as Christians, but how faithful is the Christ who walks with us. It's not about how much we understand, but how wise is the Christ who gives us understanding as we grow. That's what union with Christ means. In our worst and our best moments, it's always him holding us and giving us the ability to know God more intimately. He's the true God who came to live in you. And so those three things, he rescues us from sin, protects us, and Christ in us, John reminds us to know about his promises. Two of Amy's friends each had a baby a couple days ago, sent us pictures. It's always amazing to see uh, mothers holding their tiny human uh, for the first time in their arms. Uh, whenever Amy and I hang out with friends who are parents, it's an interesting experience because you see them keeping their third eye open for their kids. Uh, Sometimes we're talking and the mom would go, wait a second, why is it so quiet? Okay, never mind, they're just playing with toys. You were saying? One time I was in a serious Zoom call with some dude. We were discussing business. And all of a sudden he goes, I'm sorry, I have to do this. And then he looks up and says, honey, that was an amazing jump. You're awesome. And you hear in the background, thanks, Dad. 
And then he gets back on a Zoom and he says, so as, as we were saying, and I was like, what the heck was this? We're in a serious meeting, man. Of course, everybody has different parenting styles. It's, it's not always perfect and it's difficult, but the common theme Amy and I notice when we spend time with parents is this palpable desire for their child to flourish and do well. Family of God, do you know that even that parental affection is a small glimpse of what your heavenly father feels for you when he looks at you? like a mother holding her child, he says to you, you don't know, King's Cross, how much I love you. How much I'm for you. Look at the cross. Jesus held on until death so he could be with you. And if he did that, don't you think he's going to continue loving you into the future? Our passage uses the word know seven times. And it's not talking about knowing facts. Is talking about resting in your assurance in your soul. Know that you have life with him. So it doesn't matter where you've been or how much more you think you need to do or how far you've been away from church. Just go to him and he'll take care of you. The main idea of today's message was this. Living a full life in Christ means continuing to receive his Assurance, and we talked about three ways to receive that assurance with each other from this text. Prayer, restoration, and the knowledge of his promises. Uh, next week, Pastor Norman's going to finish off this book with that final verse, 20, verse 21. Uh, but as we conclude this series, church, I want to encourage you to go back and read First uh, John uh, when you have the time. Be reminded of his good news for you and rest in him. Well, just as we heard the gospel from Scripture, we also receive the gospel through tangible means. Jesus prepares this table for us, and he calls us to remember him. And every time we take these elements, he's allowing us to know that he's with us in spirit. On the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it, remember me. And as often as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.